2: I'm Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I am Tara Tibbetts from Fort Worth, Texas, in our last 90-degree day of the year, I hope. And you are listening to the monthly Foxing episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for October 15th, episode 2540. Good morning, Horse World. This is our special fox hunting episode. We come to you the third Thursday of every month. So please put it on your calendar. You check back and hear all the fun goings on in the hunting world and what's new and shaking and changing and being exciting and just keep up. And we would love to have you join us in our fox hunting.
1: That's right. And coming up on this month's episode. We're going to be chatting with Rachel Wilkowski from Rachel's Riding Closet. If you are into fun, interesting, and beautiful things to wear in the hunt field, at the office, or at your local hunter show, you're going to love that conversation. And then we're going to be chatting with Marilyn Mariano, who is the Joint Master Foxhounds for Wentworth Hunt, and what they've been up to in the crazy year that is 2020. And speaking of crazy years, what have you been up to since we last we spoke, Tara?
2: What have I been up to? So. How many more dogs ago? did you get? Zero so <laughs> far. I can say this because my husband doesn't listen to the podcast. It's probably going to change on Saturday. Uh-oh. But, yeah. And it's all because. It was the two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I went. So last year I went to Burwell to the hound trials. And so that was a hound trials with multiple different hunts that had their hounds and they were judged. And we, we talked about it on the podcast. So go back to October of last year and you can check that out. But this year it was a hunt invitational. So not a hound trials So a little bit smaller group. Um, but we went, we hunted, we, we, um, and in, did informal attire, which we'll talk about with Rachel, um, on, thursday we trail rode on the beach which i i love nothing more than posting beach trail ride pictures in nebraska because my family's always like you're where you're where where what yeah that is a little, a little bit mind-blowing yeah and it's super sandy there so it's like a beautiful sandy beach and then we mm-hmm. hunted for a couple of days and then i came back to texas and as always north hills hunt is delightfully welcoming we had an amazing time simon was a complete superstar um, we went first flight all three days this time, Ooh. which was new last year. We went second flight two days and we only did first flight the last day. And it's, it's kind of a transition because Simon is, he's six now. So he's, I forget that he's still fairly young, but the first season he hunted, he was a whip horse. So we were out by ourselves and he was also a whip horse the second season we hunted, but we also, we did burwell and rode in the field and. He was, um, he had a little pep in his step (laughs) on the the first day of hunting at Burwell. Um, my friend who went with me was saying he was bucking and I was like, I mean, he wasn't really bucking. It was more like a porpoise, like (laughs) nobody was going to fall off. He was just a little exuberant. Um, but it was, we, I've been taking lessons with a hunter jumper trainer, um, nearby here me in, in the Fort Worth area, Fort Worth, Dallas area. And just working on like getting like the appropriate like counter strides and takeoff spots and whatnot. And Simon really, really, really did well. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, people think of the show world as being completely different than the fox hunting world. And I, I disagree. I think that the things you learn at the horse show granted, yes, they're for the horse show, but it's really taught me a lot about Having a good canter and getting, you know, I don't, Simon finds the distant. I don't, I, I get him in a good canter to get a good spot to the fence. And there was one particular coop we jumped when we were there that you jumped the coop and it was 20 feet and it was a sheer drop off, maybe 30 feet. And it was a sheer drop off. So you, you had to jump the coop accurately and then turn a hard left which could be kind of a difficult situation, especially for a young horse being only six years old. And he landing on your forehand
1: and take and, and going along like a freight train is not an option there.
2: Yeah. And, and he really, he's not a super forward horse anyways. He's, he's pretty chill, but I mean, we, we, I decided to trot that coop. It was like a two nine, I think ish coop and kind of down a hill. So we trotted it and then obviously landed in a canter stride, took a stride or two and turned left. And he handled it beautifully, absolutely beautifully. Um, But it's just, it's fun for me to do the show hunter thing and then take that out to the hunt field and see how all those things translate. Because at the end of the day, the show hunters are based in fox hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, And even having not grown up with with the show hunter world, having grown up with quarter horses, I still... um, I don't know. I just, I, it's really fun to me. And I, I'm so fortunate to have this really neat horse. Who's been amazing to do this with. Cause Simon could go do a show hunter class tomorrow. Just as easy as easy as he could go. Fox hunting. We just haven't done that yet. But just haven't done yet. Yeah. So I'm going
1: to, I'm going to flip the tables a little bit. Yeah. If you, you can take, what are some of the skills from the fox hunting field that you can take back to
2: the show ring? I think the biggest thing you take back to the show ring is confidence. Ah. I think, I think that people overthink, you know, like the one thing that I don't know if my trainer listens to this, her head maybe is going to explode, but people place far too much emphasis in my opinion on the strides between fences and a hundred and a hundred course. You know, if your horse is shorter strided and it's supposed, you know, finger quotes, it's supposed to be a six stride. If your horse does it better and it's more, it's easy for the horse to do it in a seven stride. I don't understand why you wouldn't do it in a seven stride. Or if you have a horse with a monster stride, why wouldn't you do it in five strides? And I think fox hunting teaches you the confidence of getting to the jump safely and nicely, which is ultimately what you're going for in a show hunter course. But you're right. right, that You learn
1: to have that innate feel and you learn to ride a little bit more off of intuition. And you also, something I found very useful in the hunt field is you really learn to think on your feet because yes. that coop that you just talked about, if you are out in the, in fox hunting and unless you're super familiar with the territory, as you approach a fence, you don't necessarily know what you're landing into. Mm -hmm. It could be a turn, could be something slick, could be the horse in front of you lands and bucks the rider off. So you have to make a quick decision to turn right or left. And you learn to make quick decisions that are safe and sensible and then just get on with the job rather than when you, when you ride in, in arena situations and in show situations, it's easy to freeze up. What are the consequences? Mm -hmm. Well, you freeze up and you don't get a ribbon, right? You're embarrassed by your friends maybe, right? But in the hunt field, if you freeze up, you're going to come unglued. <laughs> or somebody's going to ruin exactly. you. Exactly.
2: <laughs> and you have to, the other thing I think that the hunt field teaches you, and and, and this kind of goes back to the show world, you know, the horses all have a 12 foot canter, but you ride the horse who's under you.
1: Yes.
2: And the horse who's, and, and Simon has been a very distinct. When I ride Simon at home, you would think he's a 29 year old quarter horse. (laughs) He's so docile. He's so chill. He acts like jumping a two, six jump at home is like the most effort he's ever done in his entire life. Like, but then I, you know, I got him, get him to burger well, and he's got like, he's got, um, fire starters in his butt and he's like, yee-haw, ki -yay yay let's go. Um, and I, I don't think he'd be that way at a horse show necessarily, but then I, you know, I take him back and go to a lesson and, you know, which is at a different barn, a different arena. I think he acts a little more in between. You learn to ride the horse that's under you today. Cause the horse that is under you today can vary. And yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's, I, I think it just all for me specifically, it's given me a tremendous amount of confidence because I'm not a perfectionist, so to speak. But when I, then I show Coco and the hunters, not Simon, but when I show Coco and the hunters, I want to be honest with her and not cheat her and put her in bad situations. But I think riding in Simon in the hunt field has given me the confidence to know what that is and what feels like. Yeah. Cool. Great stuff. So our term of the month. This is it's a it's a jumping off point I, that's gonna it's gonna lead into a couple additional terms of the month. But I think this is interesting because it lends itself very much towards the conversation we're I'm hoping we'll have later with Rachel about attire. But the term of the month is hunt appointments. If you have shown, like in the hunter jumper world, for a long. Time. there there used to be i've never seen them but i've heard about them there used to be hunt appointment classes yes i remember reading um, about them yes and and i think anymore it still kind of is active for side saddle but hunt appointments are their hunt crops the thong that's attached to the crop and any other tack that's attached to the d ring of an english hunt saddle um, such as leather cases that are designed to carry essential tools, like um, some people might carry wire cutters or have some type of first aid. Or like for us, because the hounds get overheated, we'll carry um, uh, cake like cake frosting in a tube so that we can give them some sugar if they get uh, overdone. Um, you carry sandwich tins or flasks inside of 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 some of the sandwich cases, and we'll talk more about what those specific things are. But I just to know what a hunt appointment is, is it's like, it's the accessories that that you take with you on a hunt. And it's important to know with hunt appointments that, like the hunt crop specifically, only certain people in the hunt field can carry the hunt crop. And so it's not really, you don't have to worry about it. If you're a guest at a hunt, you're not going to be carrying a hunt crop most likely, unless you're a member of another hunt. But if you're just getting started, I think it's interesting to learn about the crops and the thongs and the sandwich cases and all those fun things. And we'll talk more about those in later segments. So oh, I think this is our jumping off one. point.
1: Yeah, we could yeah, do a whole I on, think on appointments.
2: Yes. History, where they're made and what they're made of and what you put in them. Cool. Yes. Perfect. Yes. I think hunt appointments is um, really fun. So that's it. Cool.
1: Well, we're going to take a quick break here and we are going to hear from one of our fantastic sponsors because without them, this show doesn't happen. And that's going to be daily dose equine. That's the chow that scooter Glenn's hackney pony eats morning and night every day. And we'll hear from them, and then when we come back, we are going to be speaking with Rachel Wolkowski from Rachel's Riding Closet. In 2006, Daily Dose Equine was founded by Janet Geyer when she was searching for better feed options for her own horses and couldn't find them. Today... Daily Dose Equine's seven different feed and forage balance formulas provide all types of horses with the quality nutrients they need, but none of the fillers or additives they don't. Daily Dose is made with non-GMO ingredients. You won't find any wheat middlings or distillers grains in Daily Dose Equine formulas. Plus, feeds are flame-roasted to improve digestibility, lower NSCs, and eliminate mold, bacteria, and other contaminants. You can learn more about Daily Dose Equine at DailyDoseEquine.com. And Daily Dose Equine feeds and forage balancers are available nationwide through Chewy.com.
2: So I um, was introduced to Rachel um, via Facebook from my close friend, Marcella, who I don't know how many coats Marcella has bought from you, but she's tagged me on a couple of posts and just noticed that you have your business, Rachel's riding closet and you, um, resell or sell some absolutely stunningly beautiful, mostly at this point of the season, autumn hunting coats, tweeds and whatnot. But I'm excited to be joined by Rachel Wolkowski of Rachel's riding closet. And I'm going to let Rachel kind of introduce herself and, Tell us a little bit about your your fox hunting life and experience, and then I want to talk all about clothes.
3: Hello, everyone. Um, My name is Rachel Wolkowski. I have Rachel's Riding Closet, um, where I specialize in women's um, fox hunting attire, primarily tweeds. Um, I do a little bit of everything from formal wear to, you know, the country attire um but I got into it because I absolutely love proper turnout in the hunt field and I love that we can all be a little bit different um whether that's all year round and in our tweed or you know in the early fall season Um, I have been hunting since I was about five years old I grew up hunting with Pickering Hunt um, and then I joined with my family Cheshire Hunt in Pennsylvania. And then this year I also joined a second hunt, Andrew's bridge. Um, so when I'm not hunting, I am getting ready to go hunting, rigging my horses up, riding, etc. Um, I have been doing my best to travel all over between the U S and Ireland to hunt as many packs as I can. Um, and so far I'm up to 27. Oh, wow. So I'm really trying to add, add to that list. And, um, make some connections all over and you know my riding closet has really been great for that um, especially Marcella. I won't say how many coach she has got but uh, <laughs> her and I have had some uh, business together so I know Marcella very well and I know her address by
2: heart now. <laughs> That's awesome. So how did you get started with with the and well and correct me first is it Pre owned or is it new or is it both? So it's a little bit of everything.
3: Um, I really try to have something for everyone. Um, I get a lot of stuff that is gently used. I get some stuff that is very well loved, and I get some stuff that has never been near a horse. Um, you know, so I'm gonna try and have everything for every budget because not everyone wants if you're just getting started in the sport and you just want to try it out or you don't know what size you are um, or you know what you're, you're looking for, you know exactly what you want and you want to splurge. I have a coat for everyone, or at least I try to. I,
2: I think that that you, you totally hit the nail on the head with that statement because what I've only been hunting for 11 years, or, uh, I think around 11 years, and I think one of the most intimidating things and one of the questions I get asked absolutely the most by people who have never hunted and they would like to hunt is the intimidation about what to wear. And I think that your business is a phenomenal job of, like you said, you've got beautiful coats from a, a myriad of budgets and sizes, and it's very accessible to a lot of different people.
3: Yeah. You know, that's, that's really kind of my goal. Um, because I get a lot of people that will send me a message through my page or through my personal messenger and say, Hey, I've never hunted before. Do you think this will be appropriate? Um, can I wear this at this point? When do I wear this? Would I wear this going here or doing this? Um, and, One of the new members that joined Cheshire, I believe she joined last year um, and is rejoining. Um, She hadn't really had a lot of experience with the hunting world before. And she asked me, well, when can I wear this coat? And it was super helpful for her to understand, you know, the different rules. Um, And for me, it's kind of fun because sometimes I do know their rules and sometimes I don't. But it's always fun to go investigate you know, each hunt's website or, you know, see what I can find about what, what they allow or don't, because there are certain hunts that have stricter or looser rules than others.
2: And I, and I bet you've really kind of seen the gamut of that, having hunted with 27 different hunts. I mean, is, do you feel like the, the Irish or the, the abroad hunts are stricter or, or less strict than the American hunts or is it kind of across the board?
3: So I think it really depends. Um, what I've noticed is that in the UK and Ireland, they're using tweed for their show coats. Um, so the tailors are adding a little bit different flavor to the coats, whether that's some velvet or a little bit of different tailoring or different buttons. Um, you know, so it's going to be a little different as I see. The trend of, you know, when I think about like a traditional Harry hall coat, they're still very much over here. That's what's seen as correct, but the tide is kind of changing because to be to be fair, the coats that were, you know, a lot of us have had passed down to us, or we found they're not going to survive forever. So we have to kind of expect some change in in the fashions that we're seeing in the hunt world while still maintaining tradition, but you're going to see a little more flair. Um, and I think that comes from the tailors making tweed show coats for the UK and Ireland.
2: So do you see the flair coming I, in more style or is it also showing up in color?
3: Um, I Honestly, I think it's both. Um, you're going to see some bolder pattern. You're going to see, um, in both the coats and stock ties, um, you see, you know, a bold, a bold print stock tie, mat- m- matched up with a bold print jacket. And a lot of people make a fashion statement in the hunt field. You know, we're trying to blend in, but a lot of people want to stand out while they're doing it. And I think, you know we're seeing a move towards that um, a lot of places and a lot of places are very traditional in the sense where it's only earth tone tweeds to are allowed or, you know, no velvet collars or, you know, some even go as far to say, Oh, only single coat. You can't have a Um And it, it really depends and it depends on the area. And I was going to say, is that geographically on- de- driven a little bit? I think so, and I think some some places are trying a little bit harder to hold on to what they find is traditional. Um, and I think if that works for your membership, go for it. If it doesn't, then I think it's it's fine. As long as people are turned out well and they're dressed appropriately and they feel good and they're enjoying themselves, go for it make a statement
2: out in Huntfield, feel good in what you wear. I, I, That's kind of music to my ears. I'm not, personally, not a real loud dresser, but I like to wear something a little bit different. And, I, you know, during formal season, I'm, you know, 100% like frock coats, you know, appropriate, like, you know, tan or canary breeches, whatever's appropriate for the hunt. I, I think that that's you know, as they say at every hunt I've ever gone to, it's, you know, with respect to the landowner that you dress up a little bit for that, but the, the informal days and, and that is one thing is I know a lot of hunts, um, most of the hunts around Texas where I live really only hunt on the weekends, So it's always formal, but a lot of the hunts that go out three or four or five days a week will do formal on the weekends and informal, or what would be, we would call autumn hunting or cubbing attire during the week. Right.
3: Yes. So actually to compare the two hunts that I'm with um, Cheshire is until opening meet, they are tweed. And then once you hit um, formal season, you can choose, you can wear a formal every day of the week, or you can, um, you can wear a tweed during the week and then formal on the weekend. Um, whereas Andrew's bridge changes from, once they hit formal season, you're wearing formal all the time. They allow um, printed stock ties during the week. Um, and that's just a little bit of give and take so that you can, um, you know, have some time to wash your stock ties. And Because, um, you know, right here, I'm pretty lucky to be in fox hunting Mecca in Pennsylvania. I have probably 10 hunts within two hours. Um, I'm really,
2: jealous. at least
3: if I'm not both you know recognized and not. so it's pretty, pretty nice, and I can go travel. and some some hunts are within a half hour of each other, and you're going to see a big difference in rules regarding to when you can wear, what, when.
2: So this, and I kind of know the answer, but i want I want listeners to hear the answer to this question. Because it comes up, you you know, I know you probably see it in Fox Hunters on Facebook and I see it in different hunt groups that I'm in. And, you know, get the question with, I was the secretary for Brazos Valley Hounds last year. How do you know what to wear? Um, I mean, I think obviously
3: you're going to, if you're going to go to your own hunt, you kind of know you have, might have a rule book or you may have asked the master's. The go-to thing is ask the master's. If you're visiting somewhere, is this appropriate? If you are worried about it, um, you know, you should try and follow their rules. Um, but a lot of hunts, if you say, oh, well, my only cubbing tweet is this. I'm visiting. Will it be okay if I wear this? Most places, are gonna, they're going to be okay with it. And, you know, if you, your cubbing attire doesn't fit in with that. I am under the impression that I think formal is always appropriate even if it's before formal season right, right? Yes. as long as you have everything to go with it you know you're doing the the black or navy jacket and white stock tie um you know and i think most hunts are very understanding that you not everyone has every kit and not everyone has a jacket for every day or every occasion and um because quite frankly it's it's expensive to outfit yourself um, you know for everything uh, even if you're just starting um, Yeah, especially if you're, coming if you're just for starting content. yeah and and i think you know we have we all have one or two jackets that we love that fit perfectly but for some people it's hard to find that jacket it's it's a search high and low especially, you know, I can relate to that because it's hard for me to find jackets that, you know, without tailoring fit perfectly or, right. you know, are long enough that I like them or they're the right color pattern for my skin tone or, you know, I, it looks good with the color horse that I'm riding. Um, <laughs> cause I do like to plan my outfits.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the fun thing about as you get, you know, once you start hunting and you kind of get into it and start acquiring, you know, a, a hunting wardrobe, it's fun to start getting colors that, you know, compliment you and your horse color and all that. But I always tell people, too, if you show hunters or if you do a venting, you know, with between your dressage and your show jumping attire, if you've got tan britches, a black or a navy coat, a white shirt, a black helmet and black boots, you're probably going to be fine.
3: And, you know, for the most part, as long as you're neat and tidy yep. and you behave appropriately, no one's really going to say anything to you. No. <laughs> and and I, I guess I understand the want to dress correctly and dress nicely and be respectful to landowners. But at the end of the day, we have to work within our own budget. We have to find things that fit us. And when unless someone else is fitting the bill, they have to, they have to understand that you are making do with what you have. I mean, if you come out looking messy and, you know, like you are not wearing a hairnet or your hairnet, your hair was blowing in the wind or whatever, or you look like you didn't even run a brush over your horse, now that's something to be sad. But if you have the wrong tone of, earth tone for Hunt. now that's that's where I kind of see I can see where it gets a uh,
2: stress with people out to right. find give, what give, they give yeah.
0: Grace.
2: Yeah. yeah so I have to ask before we wrap what is like is there do you have like a dream coat or a dream color pattern or something that you're just kind of always looking for and just really want to have
3: Well, I, so I'm a fairly, I'm not tall, tall, but I'm a long person for my height. Mm -hmm. Um, I would really love to find a frock tweed in my size. I have found a few for very petite, um, ladies, and I just would really love to find one for myself. Um, I love the darker tones, um, for my skin tone and usually the horses that I'm riding. Um, so, you know, a dark, you know, a dark, rich Brown, um, with a big window pane, maybe with a little bit of pink that would, with some Fox head buttons, I think that would probably be my ideal, um, maybe paired with a velvet collar and some, you know, the little velvet squares, um, of velvet on the pockets. That would be my ideal coat. Um, I if love I was it. designing my
2: own, well, and I will say, so I, so, and I, I don't tell people this very often because every time I say it, someone's like, Oh, well you make me blank and I won't make anyone anything,
0: <laughs> but
2: I will say I did make a tweed frock coat. So I'll have to send you pictures.
3: I, is that the greenish blue yeah.
2: one? Yes.
3: It, it is lovely. And I, I think you did a fabulous
2: job. And that was my practice coat. So the next one will be better. I've gotten a bunch of fabric in the mail this week. But I, I like you, wanted a tweed frock coat. And that was... Um, Before we let
1: uh, Rachel go, explain what frock coat is.
2: Oh, that's a good idea.
3: Um, so a frock coat is essentially, to picture I would say, you think about your buttons, well, halfway in the middle. Of your buttons, there's going to be a waist seam, and I think it on certain body types, especially mine, I think it makes a nicer shape. Generally, they're a little longer; um, they're just a little bit more fitted, tailored, um, usually, and they look they look really sharp. They are correct for ladies and men. I think they were originally designed for men, um, but a lot of ladies have taken on the frock. Coat rather than just opposed to the, I'll
1: call it a regular jacket, a uh, narrow oh jacket. Yeah. yeah, a frock coat has a has what looks like a waistline in it if you look at the seams versus a yeah. modern hunt coat. There's no seam that goes around your waist. All the seams are right. are, are vertical. So if you can get in your mind's eye, um, what that looks like, and, and you're right, it it creates a very different silhouette, and a lot of dressage coats are using a frock-style pattern. And yes, they have that little waistband. And there's... And dressage coats have a different number of buttons than hunt coats, too, but we won't get into buttons today. But I wanted to explain what frock coat was because I thought, well, <laughs> no, maybe some people don't understand the difference between a frock. So if it's not a frock coat, what do you call it?
2: Um, a hunt coat.
1: It's called a hunt coat? Okay, I didn't know what the official term is. There you go. Is that, that right, Rachel? so much about hunt coats today. Well, you know, I, I've seen it referred to as non-waisted or... You know,
3: I, it's kind of hard to describe because some people, when they think hunt coat, they think frock, you know, true. and it just, it depends on the person. And I think, you know, kind of, I would compare it to a, not like a
2: dressage coat. And that's <laughs> yep. Not, not a dressage put, coat. <laughs> <clears throat> it's true because the pattern I used was for a dressage coat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Both of my, most, both of the dressage coats that my mom made for me were, Frock patterns, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I'll and I also say, this blew my mind a little bit, Rachel. You maybe can weigh in here. Somebody posted on Fox Hunters on Facebook, there was some post about um, appropriate attire, and they said that patent top boots are appropriate with a frock coat for a member with colors, but you shouldn't wear patent tops with a non-frock coat, and formal only, not not tweeds, which I didn't know that. I'm not sure I believe it. And I, you know, it's kind of funny because I didn't, that wasn't
3: information that I was privy to um, either, but it's kind of funny because you, there's so many different sources for information for hunt turnout. um, And, you know, you kind of can look at, it's social media. You can look and between my coats and, other individuals and other businesses, there's so many correct jackets and they're all so different. And I think that's what makes uh, autumn hunting attire so much fun because for a little bit, you can all be a little bit different together. You know, you have some similarities and um, even as far as, you know, what are you wearing a stock tie or are you wearing an Oxford and a, and a necktie or, you know, You know, it's it's a lot of fun and I I really enjoy it. I enjoy bringing joy to others, whether that's through, you know, a fun tweed or a very subtle tweed or, you know, a fun necktie or a bold stock tie. I, I just really enjoy it.
2: So if our listeners are peaked now and they're dying to get their hands on a beautiful autumn hunting coat or stock tie or tie, how do they find you?
3: Um, So I am on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, It's Rachel's Riding Closet. I try and you can give me a call or send me a direct message via Facebook. Um, And if you have certain questions or or you're looking for something specific or if you just want to browse my page, I try and mark everything that's been sold, sold Um, as soon as I know, um, as soon as it's been paid for. I accept PayPal and Venmo. Um, And a few people, if they don't have those, I also, um, you can send me a check for an item and wait for it to clear and then I can send it. And I ship all over the lower 48 um, and most of my prices include
1: shipping and insurance.
2: Wonderful. And I guarantee you once you check it, you'll be addicted.
1: So this got me thinking about fashion and style and appropriate attire for both horse and rider at different hunts. It does vary. A bit. So it got yes. me to thinking because you, uh, you mentioned crops when we did our term of the month. Now the, the, I, am going to call it a whip because that's what I always called it. Maybe I'm wrong. That's the one that you carry that has the little horn or faux horn L shaped handle, right?
2: Yes. Or it's, um,
1: wood. Okay. So is that, t- is the, the short stick like section, is that, correctly the correct term for that is a crop and not a whip
2: i think it's the whip okay no i think i think it's the hunt whip okay that's the hunt whip and then the long piece of leather that's
1: That's braided
2: that you attached to it is the thong the
1: thong and then the and the little the little snappy bit on the end is the lash
2: yes okay so Got me to think. I'm not an expert here, <laughs> but I think that's right. Um, got me to thinking. In your
1: experience, when one fox hunts and is just a member of the field and not necessarily a member of the hunt, regardless of how much experience you do or do not have in the hunt field, it was when I was hunting as a youth, it was always appropriate that you had to carry a crop. What you might think of today as a traditional crop that you would carry in the show hunter ring is that still the
2: case? you I have hardly seen people do that people do that I think if they feel like they need it interesting for the, I, thinking back to like being in Burwell a couple weeks ago I know a couple riders had crops. And I think it was more like, you know, either for confidence to getting over the jumps or, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was like part of like um, their hunt kit for appropriate attire. I think they they carried it because they needed it, so mm-hmm. to speak, or they thought they might need
1: it. Right. Interesting. They they do make a, a really excellent back scratcher. Just saying. I agree. Yeah. And they're also handy for shoving things like gates. I always carried yes. one because it was a useful tool. Yes. Yeah handy things. That's interesting. So the, at least back in the day, and when you see occasionally people, nobody uses a wrist loop on their riding crop anymore. That, that's completely out
2: of fashion, isn't it? Yeah, you just drop it. Give it to your trainer.
1: Even in the show show ring, because it used to be that they always had a wrist loop, so that if you let go it wouldn't fall out of your hand and then it got to be oh well you can't use the wrist loop because it's not safe but even in the show ring you don't see folks using a wrist loop on a crop anymore do you
2: not really i I mean i will say i kind of like them Um, (laughs) but i would say i pretty much only use it at home not that i hardly ever carry a crop quite frankly except simon refuses to side pass up to gates so that's something we're working on and i need a third leg so it serves as my third leg for that
1: well, that's what they're for anyway, isn't it? Yeah. For yeah. Interesting. So in show hunters where you ride cocoa. Yes. Everybody still carries a crop over fences. I don't. You just, you're just
2: the rebel, aren't you? I don't. And, <laughs> and I will, I'd be really, I'm going to be really honest and say a lot of what I've learned from Jamie and the Monty Roberts method. Um, I, if I need a crop to get my horse over a jump, it's my fault, not their fault. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I don't, and like Coco is like this weird enigma and that I don't think anyone on the planet other than me has lessons every weekend where their trainer says, no leg, no leg, no leg. <laughs> I love it.
1: I love it. So do you she s- definitely doesn't need a crop. Do you still see your fellow competitors carrying them generally? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. for... From my point of view, at least, it was a style thing in that that was just part of what you used. It's no different than wearing black gloves. You wore black gloves because that's yep. what you wore, not necessarily because it was being used as a crop. Used, but, you make, right. but you make a valid point. Why am I carrying it if I'm not using it as a crop? Perfectly yep. valid. Um, interesting. So
2: fly whisks. Does anybody
1: carry a fly
2: whisk? I haven't seen them in the hunt field, but I have a lot of hunt friends who have them who use them trail riding. And I don't know if that's a geography thing. Um, Cause I've really only hunted like in the Midwest and the West. I haven't hunted East at all yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I've hunted in the Carolinas and nobody had them there, but I think they're, they're correct. They're not. And I think they're a good idea, quite frankly.
1: Again, a very, very useful tool
2: yes yes
1: i um, we're we're gonna have to I'll have to write this down on a note somewhere to ask some of the various and sundry hunt staff that we have on the different shows what their thoughts are because it's I'm curious about if it varies regionally um what what is considered appropriate fashionable, popular as far as what right. you're putting in your hand
2: right you know. Because the most common thing I see is is a hunt whip with, mm-hmm. and like the few people on Burwell had the hunt whip with no thong on it, just the whip. Mm-hmm. Um, which that's when you're carrying just the whip with the horn, the L-shaped horn on the end. Like that's a tool. That's a tool to open gates. That's a tool to pick stuff up. Um, and the lash part you use, you can use it for picking logs up and stuff like that. But the the lash is. You know, like to get hounds from out from under your horses' legs or something like that. Gotcha. And my understanding is only members can members with colors can carry the hunt whip with a lash.
1: Really? Yes. I naughty me. I used to carry one all the time.
2: No. I was neither a member. But (laughs) I think it varies. (laughs) I think it varies by hunt, again. And I just yeah, you because know, I'll 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 see a I'll see somebody post on everything in my life. I swear it goes back to Fox Centers on Facebook, but I'll see somebody post something there and I'll see the hunt and not really recognize the name of it and go back and look at that hunt's website and read read their attire and equipment and whatnot, like what what their rules are. And that's where I've seen that sometimes is that only members can carry a whip. But like Interesting. Yeah.
1: See now I'm gonna have to look that up too.
2: But I think part of the hunt whip thing is are you educated to carry the thing? Well, precisely
1: because it's a big long chunk of stuff and it's carried what I would call upside down in that the top of it, the little L shape points down towards your knee and the whippy lashy part sticks up in the air. So you couldn't use it in the modern way as a crop to tap the horse on the shoulder, even if you wanted to, (laughs) right. It's just not made for that. Um, <clears throat> very interesting stuff so now we're gonna have to continue this whole crop whip fly whisk discussion um forward it's I, I, I agree said. yeah cool well now that we've waxed poetic about crops whips and fly whisks we're going to wax poetic a little bit about total saddle fits um stability stirrup leathers a great item to have in everyone's kit regardless of what discipline you ride in. So we're going to hear a little bit from total saddle fit. And then when we come back, we're going to be hearing from Marilyn Mariano from Wentworth hunt. I want to talk about the total saddle fit stability stirrup
2: leathers. Did you get yourself a pair of these yet? I haven't, but I've been reading a lot on, um, a couple of the groups, like the Plaidcast amateur lounge that I'm in a couple of people. I, I really, I think I need to get them, get them for my hunt saddle.
1: I think all fox hunters need to know about the Total Saddle Fit Stability Stirrup Leathers. They have a wide body design, which means the part of the leather that is closest to your leg is wider than the part of the leather closest to the saddle, which means it's more stable. But it is also smoother. So if you're one of those riders like me who does a little extra squeezing with the knees and you get knee rubs all the time, you get blisters on your knees. Yeah, These make a big difference. I did not expect that. I did not anticipate that, but it does make a big difference. So it gives you more stability in your legs, fewer leg rubs, and they're attractive and they are made of good quality leather. They come in dark brown or black, so they will match your saddle perfectly. They also come in what they call the slim design, so that the buckle is at the bottom, just above the stirrup iron. For folks who like to have the stirrup strap, that odd style that's very trendy right now, I like that kind too. And they also have them so that the slim style can be twisted in such a way so that your stirrup iron is facing the correct direction. You know how you have to tap the inside edge of your stirrup iron to get a hold of it? Yep. You can They have instructions on how to twist it in certain ways so that your stirrup iron doesn't have to do that. So if you have trouble getting your stirrup back or if you have trouble with torque on your knee, these will also suit you. And they come in 48, 48 54, 58, 60, and 64-inch lengths. So there's something for everyone. And when you get them from totalsaddlefit.com... They're, you're guaranteed to love them. He will pay shipping both directions if you don't love them, and you can use them and abuse them. You don't have to ride in them once and cover them with a sock. Ride in them, really decide whether or not you love them, and if you don't, you can send them back. So go to totalsaddlefit.com and get your stability stirrup leathers today.
2: So I'm excited today to be chatting with Marilyn Mariano, who is a joint master of Wentworth Hunt. And I looked at y'all's website, Marilyn, and I could not... Are y'all based out of New Hampshire or Maine?
0: We are based out of New Hampshire.
2: New Hampshire, We have a couple
0: fixtures in Maine as well, but we're based in New Hampshire. Our hounds are in New Hampshire.
2: Okay, I'm so... I grew up in Montana and I live in Texas, and... I, you know, take for granted how close the states up there are. So I think it's neat how you can kind of get around and go hunting to multiple states and in, you know, the amount of time it takes me to, like, get to two counties.
0: <laughs> right. Um, and we have members in three states, really. So we have a lot of members in New Hampshire. Most of our members are in New Hampshire, but we have a big contingency that live in Maine and a couple that live in Massachusetts. So. Well, that's fun. Yeah.
2: Well, we, we kind of, it's not really a theme, but it's just something I wanted to do kind of through this, I call it Corona apocalypse. Um, talk to different, different leaders at different hunts about things that are changing or that you're doing differently and just kind of how COVID has, has changed your hunt season. But before we get into that, I just wanted to get a little bit of background about, you know, if you tell us a little bit about Wentworth and how long you've been hunting and how long you've been a master and all that fun stuff.
0: Okay. Yeah, so Wentworth Hunt Club has been around since the early 70s. I don't know the I recall the exact date, but early 70s. Um and our kennels are in, like I said, in New Hampshire. Um I personally, oh, we have about uh right this year we have about 70 some uh, members. And um that's actually up a bit from COVID, which I, I know we'll get into later. We have more members than usual. Um but normally we have somewhere around 50 riding members. Um uh, diverse group of people from uh, Maine, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts. I have been hunting. This is my eleventh year, um, and I have been uh, one of the joint masters. Uh, this is my fourth year as a joint master.
2: That's a pretty quick transition into being a master. You you must you must be good at something.
0: <laughs> well, I think I'm good at leadership and organizing people more than I'm i uh, you know, I'm not a professional horseman or rider, but i I try hard and I have a good horse and I, uh, yeah, so I moved my way up and started leading fields. And then, um, I was the secretary of the club for a while and I think I'm just a good sort of organizer of people. So, um, so that's how I, when there was I think an, that's opening and an opportunity, I got, I got moved into that and I've, I've, I'm really enjoying it. We have a great group of people and, um, great horses and hounds and we, we all just have a great time together. Um, and we tend to work out, whatever the differences are. And, uh, we, we, as a team, we all work really well
2: together. So. And that's so important with fox hunting. I think it, I've only been hunting about the same amount of time that you have. And I, you know, you hear the stories of older hunts, you know, in the more East coast, you know, Virginia, Maryland area. And they, they sound like yep. they were a little bit more like a dictatorship. And I think the modern hunts anymore, I think it's really important to maintain membership and to get new interest, it's, it's very much, you know, you have to have leadership who pays attention to the people and and whatnot. So I think that's cool, but it's a perfect segue into, so have you been doing a lot of the, I'm sure you're doing it with a group, but kind of leading the charge with the changes you, your hunts made because of COVID?
0: Yeah. So we, um, it's, it's taken a lot more effort from a lot of people to make it all work out with COVID. Um, one of the reasons for us is because we're in three states, every state has different rules about crossing state lines. And early on, it was like I live in Maine and they're very strict. So if I left the state, I'd have to quarantine for two weeks on um, coming home. <laughs> and oh, wow. I, so if, in other words, if I went to visit our kennels I would, or, or go hunting or do any of our activities, basically, I'd have to quarantine for two weeks. So that was um, a big Thing to to conquer and and luckily by the time we got into our activities and certainly our hunt season those restrictions had been lifted with the state of New Hampshire so that was like we could go to New Hampshire with no no repercussions um, so everything's been kind of as as you know everything's fluid and changing seems to be week to week or every day even so we're just keeping up on what all the different rules that we have to follow are and uh, just doing our best to comply and one of the main things that we've changed is um you know, we st- our, we started our hunt season on um, mid August and we go until about Thanksgiving is, is our season and um That's pretty short. We, we're doing only online payments um our hunts or our our field secretary doesn't want to exchange any paperwork or money or anything with people coming she's wearing a mask and she stays distant and she just doesn't want to be picking you know having any physical contact with paperwork and things like that so we have everything that's online, all our liability forms, our membership forms, our capping payments, um, even donations that if people want to give us a donation. It's all on, um, we're doing it all on our website, um, and online using Square. So that's worked out really great. Um, but it takes I was a gonna lot time I bet some people
2: really like that change.
0: Yeah. And so it's funny cause we thought, oh, not everyone will want to do that. That's going to be hard. You know, um, and as you know, just in life, most of the younger people have no problem paying with Venmo or whatever, and,
2: and they have they the opposite problem—they the don't know how to write checks. A-
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's it was interesting, and um, but it's it's really interesting how even so, every member has ended up coming around and saying, "Oh, that's fine. I, I can do that," and they're doing it. They're going online and paying and signing the release forms and. Um, it's really worked out, worked out well. Um, the other things we're doing different at hunts is anytime we're unmounted, mounted, we're wearing masks and certainly when you're mounted and hunting, you're physically dis you know, you're socially distanced. Um, and it seems like a very safe thing to do. So we're, we're just going ahead with our season and it's been going great and we've been getting, like I said, great turnouts. Um, a lot of people who were more into horse shows and, and or other horse activities, a lot of those activities were canceled this year for COVID. So that's why I think our membership is up. We're one of the few horse activities that's on and going out and, and we're not standing around the show grounds together and waiting for our turns to ride. We're out riding and um, so I think we're attracting a different you know, a little bit of a different crowd than our normal crowd and um, and just the people are really liking it. So we're just hoping when this ends, whenever that is that those people continue to come back.
2: Yeah. We had a guest on, I think it was last month or the month before who had been a Fox hunter for, she was younger, but she had Fox hunted for a while, but she had a show horse that all she'd ever done was show it. And she has started Fox hunting that horse because like you said, the, and she's up in, I think kind of your area in the Northeast. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's just delightful, and I think it's, you know, it's pushing people to try try new things, and I think that it's a fantastic opportunity for hunts to attract new people. And even if it's, you know, you get someone who caps a few times in a season, and then, you know, maybe next year they join or something like that. But I think, folks, hope, hopefully you're finding just hunting is not as intimidating as people want to think it might be.
0: Right. It's that thing where if you can get them to come out once and try it, Oftentimes they're sold and they'll just keep coming back. But that first time is scary. I remember my first time coming out and I was doing some eventing and just, um, tr- you know, whatever trail riding lessons, all those things. And I always wanted to hunt, but it looked so, um, frightening to me or whatever. It's hard. It's hard to go do it the first time. Yes. And same with me. I went out that first time. I was like, well, this is what I want to do. Why would I do anything else? This is a blast. So
2: when well, like, I always tell we, people, so- go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I always tell people that fox hunting is, it's like a horse show. Like you get kind of the pomp and circumstance of a horse show, but you can have adult beverages and you get to go fast and nobody judges you and tells you what you did wrong. I mean, people might like give you like unsolicited advice or whatnot, but it's just like, you just go out and have fun and you get the cool outfits and everything from showing, but you don't have the stress of it.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
2: <laughs> you're probably not exactly. going to be shamed for and,
1: wearing the wrong brand of breeches.
0: Exactly. Right. Right. And so many of us, um, equestrians are very, um, perfectionist. So especially mm-hmm. if you're doing horse shows and it all comes, and a horse show comes down to doing everything perfectly. If you're going right. to be competitive and there's so much pressure to do that. And so what's so much fun about hunting is you come out and you do your best and, um you're the only one really judging yourself and um, yeah you need to be safe and you need to be in the right place in the field but there's a place for you know i wouldn't say everyone but in general most people if they want to do it will find the speed they want to go the the field they want to ride in and uh, make it work so
2: and i found for myself that. i show hunters and i grew up like riding western in montana so i have i have a weird background but with with the showing the hunters and then going out in the fox hunting field, I find like the things that you're told to do in the show ring, and I think this would be true for jumpers and eventing, um, but the things that you're told to do, you know, to, to find distances and whatnot, when you're out in the hunt field, mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense and everything comes together. But you're not penalized if it's if you if you chip a little bit or take a long spot. As long as you get over the jump safely, you're fine. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and you can at the end of the day you might say, Wow, I could have ridden that, that, and that a little better, but Hey, we all, we made it. We, you know, every, it all worked out. So it's, it's
2: good. Yeah. So was your hunt season cut short by COVID or, or at that time, I'm guessing it's pretty stinking cold up there in March. And so there's probably not a lot happening.
0: Yeah. So our season is always, we always end right around Thanksgiving. It's funny because almost every year we, we have what we call a diehard hunt the lot the Saturday after Thanksgiving, And and we always say, oh, we'll keep going, weather permitting. Well, weather almost never permits after (laughs) that. the ground freezes. Yes. And even if it's a sunny, pretty day, but with the ground frozen and slick, and it just becomes, um, we we really don't go, we have gone maybe into the first week of December before, but pretty much we're done at Thanksgiving time. Um, But what we do is in the spring, we start roading. We go out. in May and June, we just go out twice a week, and we bring hounds. and We don't lay a line or anything, and it's just a a quiet trail ride, basically behind the hounds, just to get the hounds back out and working together. and um, It's a great time for green horses or be, you know new riders to come out and just see what it's like to be out around the hounds when it's not so exciting. Uh, so we do that for a couple months in the spring.
2: So um, was that just staff this we, year because of the COVID situation?
0: Yeah, well we ended up, we thought that was what was going to happen. We ended up pushing it out just a little bit. I think we did, uh, we started it, we did June and July instead of May, June because by the time June rolled around, they had, um, lifted the, we could have up to 50 people, I believe at an outdoor That's event Pretty good. and roading. Yeah. And roading we usually get maybe 25 people out. It's, it's not a huge, uh, crowd that comes, but. Uh, so it was really nice at that time to be able to get out and, do something with your horse, even if it was walking behind hounds and see other people and all that good stuff. So that that was very good. Um, And then the other interesting thing for us is, you know, our big fundraisers are hunter paces and we've always done three a year. And we were really concerned about um, whether or not we'd be able to have any. And we, we wanted to, we don't want everybody hanging out in the parking lot all together and all that. So what we did was they people for our hundred paces this year, they had to sign up online and do all the things I talked about already with the um, payments being online and the liability forms online. And then we would give them a ride time and we had them all spaced five minutes apart or whatever we did for the pace, something like that. Um, and we sold out all three of our hundred pace dates, which we've never awesome. done before. Um, we had like 150 riders, I think at the first one and a hundred and, so it was all depending on how much parking we had at these different territories that we had at. that. Um, so it maxed it out. And normally um, people don't sign up in advance for our hundred paces. Cause there was only like a $5 difference between paying when you show up or signing up in advance. So everybody would wait and watch the weather. And if it happens to rain or rain hard, you end up with almost no riders. And so this worked out really well. And we, it, we were lucky in that um, all three had really good weather days and people had a fantastic time. Um, but it really took the guesswork out for us being able to collect, you know, know who's coming and when and collect all the money up front and to really have it be a successful fundraiser. That was really fantastic. So we yeah, hope to continue that tradition of signing up in advance.
2: I, yeah, I'll be curious to hear how it goes next year. Um, I just, you know, yeah. I just like, you know, the moving forms and payments to online. I just, I hope it line thing, streamlines things and makes it Better and increases, you know, interest in participation. And the one other thing I want to talk to you before we run out of time is, you had your opening October third, right? Yes. Your blessing and and you know yep. different hunts do different things and have different traditions. But I feel like the hunts that I've I've been to for openings and and talk to masters and whatnot for the podcast that it's usually a, you know, it's a big social event. There's a lot of guests that come and then a lot of hunts will have a big meal afterwards. Did you have to do a lot of adjusting and changing for your opening? Yes. So that is the
0: one thing that we really changed a lot. Um, so for our normal hunts, we do a socially distance, we call it tea, but it's it's just bring your, it's lunch afterwards. And, um, and so people bring their own food and they bring their own chair and we've make a big circle and we're socially distanced with our chairs by six feet. So we, we still have our little social time afterwards, but I think in a safe way and right. for the blessing, we wanted it to be special. So um, we did a, um, a tailgate tea afterwards and we allowed people to have like small groups, like people maybe that they're already carpooling with or family members or whatever in their groups. And so we had probably 15 different tailgate setups and we made it a contest with prizes. So everybody wanted their, you know, their section to look really special and have the nice tailgate. So we we were able to do that social thing afterwards. Um, and we were supposed to wear masks when not, you know, at our own tailgate. I will say we felt like we lost a little control with it and it wasn't as, um, I, I think everyone was safe, but it wasn't as distance as we had planned on, and I think we weren't as clear with instructions as we, as we should have been. Now looking back on it, um, so I'm not sure if that's something I would do again.
2: Interesting. Um, and then I think a, how we, many we a, people did you have?
0: Uh, we had well, we had 48 riders, and we had yeah, we had a lot of um, spectators. We probably had. 30 spectators.
2: Yeah. So I mean, that's foot. close we, to 75 had, people. That's hard it's a hard yeah. number of people to, it's like, it's too small of a group to like, I don't know, treat it like a large group, but it's too big of a group to be, you know, you word of mouth, like, you know, keep your distance. Right. And in the
0: middle, I know I was trying to figure out how to make it come together. I was like, it's, it's like herding cats. There were all these <laughs> people and most of them, you know, most of them did have masks on. And we're trying to be, you know, fairly socially distanced. But when you're eating and drinking, you know, you're right. pulling your mask down, and it just wasn't quite as um, controlled as I would have liked it. But, uh, you know, we've learned for the next time. And then this past weekend, we had a joint meet. Uh, the Norfolk Hunt came up, and uh, to our one of our newer fixtures in Maine, and we we had a great time. We had a lot, We had 52 people riding, and
2: and okay. um, but
0: we were we did a little better job, I think, with the food. We had we got actually pre-made wrap sandwiches from Panera. So you're not eating something that somebody else made. And right. you know, we just had them set out on a table and then we had the chairs like we do for our normal teas now. And they were, you know, five feet apart and people, I think we got a nice social time in that was very well distanced and that sort of thing. So.
2: Good. Well, I, just, you know, I think we're, we're so lucky to have this hobby that really lends itself towards, you know, being socially distant, you know, we're not, you know, on top of each other and like, you know, having close contact, like, you know, soccer players or something or people sitting at a bar. Right. Uh, so we usually have a hunt ball.
0: Yeah. And this year we're doing it virtual. We're going to
2: do it virtually.
0: Um, Ooh. We were trying to figure out because it's when we give, it's how we give out our uh, year-end awards. We also usually do, uh, you know, it's a fundraiser and a um, silent auction. So the silent auction items are going to be online and we're going to do a zoom meeting and we're going to have people actually dress up for it. Like you're going to the ball. I don't know how well it will work, but we're trying, we have some members who are super good at like entertaining and just making things fun. So they've taken it on as a little project. So
2: do you have a January or do you
0: do it sooner? We actually do it in November. It's usually like, I think it's November 21st this year. So close to you. So we'll see end how it goes, season. but I think, I think, yeah, it's right near the end of the season. Oh, that's we used fun. to have it in January, but we have so many members that go to Aiken, or or uh, just go elsewhere for the winter. People leave for the winter, so yeah, um, we were finding that not everyone was around to do the January hunt ball.
1: And yeah. besides, it's New England; it's winter. Yeah. <laughs> People are motivated to get out of town. Yes,
2: especially right. To Aiken. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> I've lived in New England I mean, in the winter. You're motivated to get out of town.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's it's fascinating to to talk to you and to hear about, you know, what Wentworth is doing. And if folks listening are interested in their, you know, they're close to your area and they want to come out with Wentworth, how would they get in touch with you or, or with someone to coordinate that?
0: Yeah, so the best thing to do is contact our secretary. And her um, email is secretary at wentworthhunt dot org, um, and her name is Sarah Jacobson. She's fantastic about getting back to people, and uh, yeah, we love to have people come out.
2: Excellent, and we'll put a link to the Wentworth website in our show notes. And we really appreciate you joining us and telling us about Wentworth and how you're you're making it work this season. Or on Facebook, yes, they will. have a really active Facebook page, and a great uh, and a great uh, website uh, too, by the way. Yeah, the website is delightful. Thank you.
1: Great conversation. Again, we've wasted all of our time talking ev- about everything fox hunting and we are going to do it
2: again next month on the third Thursday. So until then, Tara can be found on Instagram. You can find me at, t- at T N tibbets two B's, two T's and an E. And you can find the links to today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning, all kinds of good stuff there. And you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with the free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to your app store and search for the Horse Radio Network.
1: And many, many thanks to our sponsors. Again, this show doesn't get to happen without them. They are Daily Dose Equine, fantastic non GMO horse feed for your horse, available nationwide through Chewy. And our other sponsor today, Total Saddle Fit Stability Stirrup Leathers. So, uh, this is where we say good night. Good night.